but we'll be in Exodus chapter 17, starting in verse 8. I'm actually going to read it from the screen so I remember to change. Verse 17, verse 8. At the end, we'll say, as we're familiar with, this is the word of the Lord and your response, thanks be to God. Once again, a few moments of silence as we let the passage kind of sit over us before I share a few words. So starting in verse 8, it says, While the people of Israel were still at Rephidim, the warriors of Amalek, that's what Moses has com- had commanded, and fought the army of Amalek. Meanwhile, Moses, Aaron, and Hur climbed to the top of a nearby hill. As long as Moses held up the staff in his hand, the Israelites had the advantage. But whenever he dropped his hand, the Amalekites gained the advantage. Moses' arms soon became so tired he could no longer hold them up. So Aaron and Hur found a stone for him to sit on. Then they stood on each side of Moses, holding up his hands, so his hands held steady until sunset. As a result, Joshua overwhelmed the army of Amalek in battle. After the victory, the Lord instructed Moses, write this down on a scroll as a permanent reminder and read it aloud to Joshua. I will erase the memory of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar there and named it Yahweh Nissa which means the Lord is my banner. He said, they have raised their fist against the Lord's throne, so now the Lord will be at war with Amalek, generation after generation. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Hey, Hirsch, would you do me a favor? Pull my level back just a tad. There's just a little tinge of a squeal in there, and if I say something a little too loud, it's going to hit us all hard. Um, Thank you. Everybody can still hear me okay, right? Yeah, good. Um, Exodus chapter 17 tells us that the Amalekites attacked Israel. But it doesn't give us any reason why they did so. It tells us that the Israelite army, which was being led by Joshua. Sorry, I meant to start these, so I'm not up here forever. Uh, the Amalekite army that was led by, or the, the Israelite army, sorry, which was led by Joshua, overwhelmed the Amalekite army. But it doesn't tell us anything about the acts of battle that were going on. It tells us nothing about the war that was taking place or the weapons that were used or the ways in which they attacked one another. It doesn't tell us anything about that. Instead, the story focuses on this really strange role that Moses played in the battle. It tells us that Moses, along with Aaron and a man named Hur, who appears for the very first time here, A man named Hur went up on a hill where they could watch over the battle. 
And while they were there, we're told that Moses held the staff in his hands. And we don't exactly know how. Maybe he went from hand to hand. Maybe he held it over his head. We don't really know. We just know that the story tells us that when Moses had the staff in his hand and his hand was held high, that the Israelite army was the stronger of the two. And when he lowered his arm, that the Amalekite army was the stronger of the two, that they took the advantage in the battle. So Exodus 17 tells us that Moses held his arms up high for as long as he could. And when he could no longer do so on his own strength, that Aaron and her came alongside him and they helped hold up his arms to make sure that his arms and that staff of God stayed raised until the Israelites won the battle. Without clear, expect, without clear explanation, we are somehow given the intentionally led to understand that Moses' action of raising the staff was what made the difference in the battle. It was the reason why the battle was won for the Israelites. We know that Moses had this unique relationship with God. We've been talking about that for several weeks in this series. And yet at the same time, I want to remind us, Moses didn't have this special relationship because somehow God liked Moses better than everybody else. That's not actually what was going on. I'm afraid that if we feel that way, we can sometimes come to the place of believing God doesn't desire the same for us. And I think what was actually going on is that Moses is shown as a model so that we could understand God desires this same kind of deep relationship with us. It wasn't because he was just more liked than anyone else. Instead, part of what we see is true is that what added to or led to this ongoing and strengthened and deepening relationship is that Moses was deeply committed to returning to God. Consistently, over and over again, Moses returned to God. He was deeply committed to this time alone that he had with God. And out of this time with God, this special relationship was developed and strengthened. In times of silence and solitude, which we've been talking about, Moses was able to come more deeply connected with Jesus. Not with Jesus, sorry, with God. At that point, Jesus hasn't entered the story. Little misspeak there. Out of this developing relationship, out of this time together, we watch as God does miraculous work after work after work through Moses. And yet, this relationship that Moses and God had together was never simply for the benefit of Moses. I think that Moses understood that the relationship that he had with God was for the benefit of the entire community. It was for the people of God. He was standing on behalf of the people of God and the broader creation and beyond that as God wanted to work. And this, as we've been talking about this idea of strengthening our soul, I want us to be reminded and remember and recognize strengthening of the soul is never simply about me. It's bigger than what God desires to do with me it's bigger than what God is doing with you and with me. It is bigger than that. God is doing this work in us, this personal relationship building in us, because God desires to partner with us so that we can turn around and influence and impact all of creation. 
And we see through Moses' life that one of the significant ways in which this strength of soul that is happening in us that we've been talking about goes on to benefit others is that we have the opportunity to lean into our relationship with God on behalf of others. We have the opportunity, the privilege to stand before God for the benefit of other people. The opportunity to stand as an ally with God and with others and somehow bring these two together. And the scriptures promise us that when we intercede on behalf of others, that somehow the prayers that we pray impact the work of God. Now, doesn't mean we control the work of God. Doesn't mean that we somehow have say or control over all that God does or how that God does it, although sometimes we wish that that was the case. But it does tell us that God has given us the right to influence the work that God is doing through our prayers, to influence the ways in which God works based on what we say, what we speak, and how we cry out to God. As a partner with God, we are told over and over again in the Scriptures that we have the advantage of God's ear. God is listening to us and for us, and we get to speak into what's happening. Exodus 17 is this really beautiful occurrence of that taking place. As Moses stands before God on behalf of his people, He used the influence that he had out of this deep relationship with God to benefit the Israelite army. Now, again, not some form of manipulation, not some form of get what I want to get or or learn how to trick God or fool God into doing exactly what I want to do. And the reason that we know that that's not the case with Moses is that Moses was working primarily out of the foundation of the deep love that he had for God, the deep love that he had for this relationship and this interaction with God. He wasn't manipulating God in any way. He was standing alongside God for the sake of others, standing with God crying out to God, aligning himself and the people of God with the will of God, and bringing all of those things together to continue to push forward what God was doing. He was interceding on their behalf out of his love for them, and more importantly, out of the foundation of his deep, deep love for God. As we see once again, that love for God and love for others becomes intertwined not specifically spoken to, but lived out in the life of Moses as Moses puts to practice what we know we have been called to as followers of Jesus. And over and over again through Moses' story, we watch as this takes place. We watch as he stands before God on behalf of the people he was leading, as he stands before God on behalf of these people whom he loves, and he cries out to God asking that God would work on their behalf. I think one of the great values of this story is that we understand that this is the kind of people that God desires for us to be. That God invites us to come into relationship with God with the hopes that we would be deeply transformed out of a growing experience of what it means to fully live into the love that God has for us and our own love for God. 
and that this, this work of that deep love and deep connection with God begins to do the work of transformation inside of us, and we begin to become changed. As Jesus called it, we become a new creation. And out of this transformation that is taking place, God grows the ability to love others well. And then out of that love, that love for God and that love for others, we desire to intercede on behalf of other people. Love for God, love for others combines together, and we as the people of God stand on the hill, arms raised high on their behalf. I think this is God's hope. But I wonder if we would say that it is the truth of who we are. Is this our experience as individual Christ followers? Is this our experience as Valley? As Valley, are we this kind of people of faith? A people who are deeply connected with God in times of silence and solitude. And out of that, we consider it an honor to come before God on behalf of others. Right now, in these days, do we find that we are the kind of people who more than anything else are interceding on behalf of other people who need us to stand as allies with God and allies with them and bring the two together? Are we interceding on behalf of teachers, students, the sick, suffering, those who've lost loved ones, those who are struggling through broken marriages, those who are wrestling in relationships with neighbors or children or parents or coworkers or whatever the case may be? Are we interceding on behalf of those who we know in our life are lonely? Are we the kind of people who are standing before God on the hill, arms raised high, praying on their behalf? I wonder what would happen to our own faith and to the reputation of the church, both Valley and the global church, if we were willing to become this kind of people. The people who were known first and foremost as people who stand between God and others and look to bring the two together through intercession, through deep prayers to God on their behalf. If we were the kind of people who were known for standing on the hill for others, how do you think our faith might influence them if that's what they first knew of us? We as a people hope that we somehow influence people to come to know and follow after Jesus. In my mind, the idea of a people who are willing to stand up for others, stand before God on behalf of this is the kind of faith, this is the kind of Jesus that others would desire to come and follow after. This is the kind of faith that becomes much more appealing than some type of overly legalistic religiosity. I wonder if you and I were people willing to follow Jesus in this way, how it might influence our children to live this kind of faith. How it might influence our neighbors to live this kind of faith. How it might influence our friends to live this kind of faith. How it might affect a broader community than we even imagined possible. So in a real practical way, let me encourage you to try something. 
Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about the ideas of intentional times of silence and solitude. And last week, we intentionally talked about putting together a rule of life, a structure for what it looks like for you to live out your life and your faith in ways that are, are moving towards loving God and loving others in the way that you were created to do so. So I want to encourage you in that time to take some time to think of others. Maybe with a list, some people use that, but for some of us, that becomes overwhelming. The list just keeps growing and growing and growing and growing. So maybe instead of a list, the way to do it is to sit before God, to bring to mind the people who you need to stand on the hill on behalf of. Allow God to bring to mind friends, neighbors, family members, maybe even strangers on the news. Maybe they're people who you know because everybody knows them from the news. Or maybe they're somebody you know nothing about, but you saw their story. And God returns that to mind in your time of silence and solitude with God. Stand on the hill for them. And you may not know the words to pray. We don't have to. We sometimes feel like we're supposed to know the words, like we're supposed to know the prayers, like we're supposed to know how to ask God to do exactly what we think God ought to do for them. But instead of needing to know the words to pray, just hold them. You may not even know why they've come to mind. More and more often in my own faith life, I have these people who settle on my mind. And for a day or two or three or four, they're back. And sometimes I have no idea why. We don't have to know why. We don't have to know the words to pray. I think what God desires that we would do is that we would receive what God has given us, that we would receive the people that God brings to our mind, and then that we would hand that back to Jesus and allow Jesus to do the work. Now, Jesus may call us to action. He may call us to become the answer to the prayers. But it's also possible that instead of that, all that we're being asked to do is to hold this person in our hands before Jesus, to stand on the hill on their behalf, arms raised high, and intercede for them. In a few moments, we're going to intentionally do that for our students. We're going to take some time, and we're going to pray over them as they continue into the school year. But before we do so, I want to I stay in this, but I want to change maybe the way we're thinking about it just a tad. Because one of the things that I most value in this passage is that as Moses stood on the hill for this Israelite army, his Israelite army, this is one of those moments he may not have actually wanted to do so. If you read the, the earlier part of chapter 17, which we didn't read, the Israelite people who had just finished chewing on Moses a little bit, they weren't real happy with the ways he was not living up to their expectations of who a leader was supposed to be. They weren't real happy with the um, food options he was providing. They didn't like the menu much, and they wanted to make sure he heard it. So they came to him, and they criticized him, and they criticized what God were do was doing, and they criticized the multitude of works that were taking place. And, and I think that if, if Moses looked a little more like me, this would have been an ideal time for Moses to look at them and say, hey guys, have fun in this battle. This one... You're on your own. Go see th how things work without me and God on your side. Go on. Go watch and go see how it takes place. Sometimes we feel like 
It's our job to teach people a lesson, right? It's our job to make sure that they understand how they should have done it, how they should have responded, how they should have behaved. But Moses did no such thing. He took all of the complaints and he turned them back to God. He took all the questions that they asked and he turned them back to God. He took all the things that they were irritated by and he turned them back to God. They questioned him, they questioned God, and God and Moses stayed faithful to one another and to them. I think that if you and I were to live a faith that is willing to intercede on behalf of the people that we care about, that we would see a huge impact in their lives and in their understanding of how much we love them and God loves them. But I think if you and I were willing to intercede on behalf of people we don't like, it could absolutely change the world. If you and I were willing to stand on the hill for those who have hurt us, those who we're angry at, those who we disagree with, those whom we would define as enemies, whether or not we'd ever speak it publicly, we know that somewhere in our heart they are our enemy. Think about that on small scales and think about that on large global scales. If we as the church were the kind of people who were willing to stand on the hill for our enemies... I believe it would absolutely change the world. And when we do so, it's not praying that they would become more like me. It's not praying that they would look more like us, that they would do things the way we want them to do them, that they would run their country the way we want or think about their people the way they want or treat other people the way they want or be kinder to me the way they want or that they would get their due, that they hurt me and somehow they should get what they deserve. It's not our way of praying our vengeance over them. Standing on the hill between God and others, especially our enemies, requires that we stand on the hill for them and that we ask that God would show them love. That God would show them favor. That God would show them mercy. That God would take care of them. That God would bless them. Oh, how hard is it to pray for people we don't care much for that God would bless them. Maybe even that God would give them victory. It's hard. Oh, it's so hard. And maybe some of you in your mind this morning are already thinking, yep, I'm not doing this for so-and-so. Absolutely not. It's so hard. But church, we need to hear this clearly. It is hard. It is also love. It is the kind of deep, transformed love that the gospel has called us to. It is the kind of deep, transformed love that we claim we long for and desire. And it is the kind of love that is only possible if the miraculous work of the Holy Spirit brings in us the kind of deep soul transformation that makes this possible. We can't get there on our own. So I wonder, are we willing to be the kind of people who love God and others so deeply that we're willing to stand on the hill interceding our friends, 
and our enemies. We're going to walk into a time of prayer that is unique for us, something that we do that's something that's a little different. That's an opportunity for us to participate in prayer together. Uh, and I'm going to, to read kind of a prayer prompt and then give some moments of silence. And in those moments of silence, allow you to receive what God lays in your lap. But maybe also to just think about what comes to mind. People, individuals, situations. And just between you and God to give you the opportunity for you to, to silently mention those people back to God. As we walk through this prayer of intercession praying for others and what they've walked through. So will you join me as we pray together and I'll read the prompts. I'll give you some silence and then I'll speak a word that'll kind of wrap up that one and we'll move to the next one. Let's pray together. Loving God, we hold in your healing presence those who suffer pain and ill health. Allow the names and faces of people to come to mind and lay them before God. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, we hold in your presence those who suffer in mind and spirit. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, we hold in your presence the suffering people of our world and the places where people are experiencing hurt and division, including places of the heart. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, we hold in your healing presence those experiencing grief and loss. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, we hold in your healing presence those who need wisdom for their next steps. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, we hold in your healing presence those people and situations that seem broken beyond repair. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Loving God, we hold in your healing presence those whose needs are not known to me, but who are known by you, and those for whom I have been asked to pray. May they know the deep peace of Christ. 
loving God, we name in our hearts all those who are close to us. May they know the deep peace of Christ. Glory to God from whom all love flows. Glory to Jesus who showed his love through suffering. And glory to the Holy Spirit who brings light to the darkest places. Amen.